Hi, this is episode 42 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part 3 of chapter 15, the very last part of the very last chapter, of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. We'll start a new book next time. By 1720 hours, each of them had a hand on a cracker, as if on a trigger. When the studio announcer said, And now, over to the Happy Bagthorpes, live at home. They were all to pull them, and appear extremely jolly and put on their paper hats. Mr. Bagthorpe, noting with satisfaction that his dying Keats performance was coming over well, mentally resolved not to do this. Keats could never, ever have worn a paper hat, he decided. Mm -hmm. Jack had been requested by his mother to hold Zero's collar while the crackers were being pulled. "'We don't wish a repetition of Grandma's birthday party,' she had said, smilingly. "'Not that history ever repeats itself.' "'I bet it will.' As P.J. started the countdown to 1725 hours, the atmosphere became electric. The production assistants moved in and lit the Christmas tree candles, though they looked less than magical under the harsh glare of lights.' At a warning signal from P.J., crackers were raised, and as he dropped his arm as if holding a starter's flag, the Bagthorpes went into action. Crackers were pulled, if not with hilarity, at least with a lot of shouting and confusion that could easily pass as hilarity. Grandma pulled so hard that her arm ended up in a half-melted jelly, and Aunt Celia jibbed at pulling her cracker and put both hands over her ears instead. Jack with one eye on a monitor, noted that a bottle of beer inadvertently left on the table by the sound man was figuring largely in the foreground of the shot, uh -oh. and releasing Zero's collar, stretched out to remove it. He knew his mother would not want the nation to see beer bottles on her tea table. What happened next was never really very clear afterward, but it had something to do with Zero understandably backing away from all the banging and shouting, and getting his paws inextricably wound in the flex leading to the boom. The man holding the boom did not notice this, but finding himself short of flex gave the boom a jerk to release it, and in so doing caught the top of the candle-lit Christmas tree. From then on, history did not so much repeat as excel itself. P.J. alleged afterward during the insurance investigation that if the Bagthorpes had kept their heads, none of the things that did happen would have happened. Nobody at the time seemed to be keeping their heads. Everybody screamed and shouted and fought to get clear of the blazing tree. Mr. Bagthorpe hurled his tea at it, and the production team threw their beer, but not before the glittering and highly flammable wrappings on the borderland parcels had caught fire. "'Dial 999!' yelled Mr. Bagthorpe, and gave the tablecloth a mighty yank, so that food and crockery flew out at everybody. At the time... The rest thought he had yanked the cloth off because he had become unhinged, but what had in he had intended, apparently, was to throw it over the flames and stifle them. But before he could wrench it away from William and Uncle Parker, who were both hanging grimly onto it in case he did something rash with it, Daisy's fireworks had started to go off. There was nearly twenty pounds worth of these, because Daisy had persuaded Borderland TV to give them to Arioch as well as herself. Up to this point, everyone had acted as if the situation could eventually be salvaged, and the cameraman, in fact, kept on filming the whole time. Even after the fireworks started going off and the dining room had hastily been evacuated, he stood in the doorway filming, and a lot of what he shot was used later on the news. 
The Bagthorpe's tea party had now definitely crossed the frontier between light entertainment and news, and Jack could see from the one remaining monitor that their transmission had been faded out, and an orchestra was playing instead. When the firemen arrived, three of them turned out to be ones who had come to put out Grandma's birthday fire, and when they saw all the rockets going off, and blue and green lights glowing, and so forth, you could see that they were so bewildered they could hardly do their job properly. Nearly all the ingredients of this fire were identical to those of Grandma's. Only details differed, like its being Mr. Bagthorpe, rather than Zero, who dragged the tablecloth off. Oh, I get it. When the fire was out, the firemen would not stay, even for a drink. They said this was because they were on duty, but it was obvious that the real reason was that the Bagthorpes made them nervous. The borderland people packed their blackened equipment in a daze and stumbled off into the night. Before he left, P.J. told the Bagthorpes that they had probably ruined his whole life. "'No man should ever have his worst fears realized,' he told them, "'and that is what happened to me today. "'From now on I shall be a cynic. "'All my natural optimism has vanished at a stroke. "'You have destroyed my faith in life.' "'None of the family felt particularly repentant about this, "'but Mrs. Fosdyke's equally shattered faith "'was something that struck much nearer home. "'She had shrieked out her notice several times "'during the course of the fire,' but the distractions were such that no one had paid any attention. At some stage she must have packed her bag and silently crept away, because when the Bagthorpes were left confronting the all-too-familiar, sodden ruins of the dining-room, she was suddenly registered as missing. Mrs. Bagthorpe wanted her husband to take the car and go after her, but he refused. "'I'm in shock,' he told her. "'I am in no fit condition to drive a car.' He persisted in this refusal, and in the end Mrs. Bagthorpe decided that, as Mrs. Fosdyke must almost certainly be in shock, too, it might be better to wait a while before making any overtures. "'Though my Christmas will quite will be quite spoiled by the uncertainty,' she said, "'I cannot possibly continue with my problems without the assistance of Mrs. Fosdyke.' And so Christmas Day drew to a close, with the door of the burned-out dining-room finally closed, and everybody in the sitting-room allotting blame for the events of the day and arguing endlessly. The television was switched on for the news, and there they saw the whole awful scene reenacted, and all started pointing and yelling, "'Look! There you are! See that?' and so on. William announced his intention of asking the borderland people to do an action replay at a private showing. The news finished, and the commercial came on. The battered Bagthorpe stared numbly at the close-up of Zero, gazing at them from the screen. Unhurriedly he scrunched his buried bones. "'By Jove!' exclaimed Uncle Parker. "'Keeps his cool. Shows the lot of us up.' "'I do not accept that,' Mr. Bagthorpe told him. "'The hound is an idiot, and it shows. And seeing him on the screen is all I needed to round off my day. I shall go to bed, so that the new year will come more quickly.' I have never been I have never before so strongly needed to make a fresh start with a clean slate. I consider my present state to be as near rock bottom as it has ever been. Later the family discovered that he had written on the wall in the hall on his way up to bed. There was to be a fresh spate of writing thoughts on walls as a natural outcome of the fire. What he had written was Hell is absolute zero. The others could sympathize with this sentiment. But Grandma, when nobody was looking, penned sanctimoniously underneath, "'No, Henry, hell is oneself.' 
under which, during the course of Boxing Day, Mr. Bagthorpe unguardedly wrote, "'That depends on who you are, of course,' beneath which, inevitably, Grandma wrote, "'Precisely, Henry,' and drew under it a thick, triumphant line, punctuated with a daisy, like a full stop. The End And that is The End of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. See you next time, and we'll start a new book then.